And so, um, if you've been with us, we're continuing up Hebrews chapter 13. We're almost done. So I'm going to get through a big portion tonight. Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 7 through 17. It says, Remember those who rule over you and who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace and not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. For we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share with such sacrifices. God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So the first portion of his letter starts out pretty much the same as the end. And he says, remember them who have the rule over you. It's a better translation is remember the guides who have spoken unto you the word of God. Remember who they were. Remember their obligation, your obligations to them and do not forget their instructions and their example. This may have referred to James, the brother of John, commonly called the first bishop of Jerusalem, who was put to death before the epistle was written here. And it says, whose faith follow, embrace by faith those same doctrines, the same precepts, and the same promises of the gospel, which these men of faith embraced. And let your faith be assured, alive, and it is operative as theirs was. Purifying your hearts, rendering your lives fruitful to the glory of God, considering the end of their conversation means consider the manner in which they left this earth, which is why they believe that they were talking about James. Cause if you know anything about James, he was the first martyr. So he says, look at that. Remember how they lived their life. Remember how they died. Remember these things to engage you to retain that same kind of faith. To courageously follow in their steps, bearing the reproach of Jesus Christ. In Acts 12, 1 and 2, it says, About this time, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. James here, being the first martyr, had his head cut off. So the letter goes on. He says, look, look at them. Look at their faith. Remember how they died. So the letter goes on and says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchangeable. So the design of this acknowledgement is to encourage these Hebrew believers to persevere by showing that their Savior is always the same. That he who sustained them in former times 
was the same still and will be the same forever. Perseverance then is found on the immutability of our Savior, of our Redeemer. Because if he were fickle or vacillating or changing in his character and plans, if he today aided his people and he tomorrow he would forsake them, if he one time loved the virtuous and another time equally loved the vicious, if he formed a plan yesterday which he abandoned today, or if he was a different being from what he is now, there would be no encouragement to our effort to persevere. Who would know what to depend on? Who would know what to depend on? Who would know what to expect even tomorrow? For who could have any certainty that he could ever please a capricious or facilitating, vacillating being? Who could even know how to shape his conduct if the principles of God were not always the same? So he says... Be not carried away, rather carried about, by diverse and strange doctrines. For it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace and not with meats. So the exhortation then to imitate the faith of these departed leaders then, there's a natural transition to warning them against being carried away with new revelation. The faith remains unchanged as Jesus remains unchanged. The word, the gospel remains unchanged as Jesus remains unchanged. Paul told the Galatians, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. If we had said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So then Paul goes on to tell Timothy, now the spirit, so the spirit is telling us expressly that in the latter times, in the last days of history, some will depart from the faith. Not, he's not talking about a personal faith in Christ. He's talking about doctrinal scriptural faith tenets of christianity that have been around for two thousand years and suddenly this last generation says no i don't think i don't think you know what that means giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons so he says these are deceiving spirits these are doctrines of demons and they speak lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So these passages here refer to these Jewish distinctions that were still being held by some Jewish Christians. It's interesting to me, is um, if you ever met a Messianic, a Messianic Jew, they are some of the most haughtiest people you've ever met. They will argue with you about everything. And they hold to these things. So these Jewish Christians, right? He says, and and the Jews, they refer to these clean and unclean or polluted meats. But rather, 
a new kind of religious discipline, not found in the Old Testament, but based on a new revelation, which led to abstaining from eating meat, as the above mentions, and also marriage. So the warning is that the true gospel does not consist in any of these observances. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So you have to remember here that this was written to Jewish Christians who understood Judaism and the laws of atonement. They understood these things. These were Hebrew believers. They were scattered. They were wanting, when, 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 uh, as you were here with me when I went through the four times where I talked about apostasy, they were all wanting to go back to Judaism because Christianity was too hard. It was too hard because they were facing too much affliction and opposition to the faith. Honestly, I don't think American Christians are prepared for the affliction that is coming. So the writer here, he says, we have an altar by which is men of Christ himself. They understood what this meant. Christ is the altar, the sacrifice and the high priest. And he was typified in the Old Testament by the altar of the burnt offering and the sacrifice that was offered upon it. The altar made of shittim wood and covered with brass, denoting the incorruptibleness, duration, and strength of Christ. The horns of it at the four corners were for refuge, that whoever fled to it and laid hold on them were safe. Christ is a refuge to his people that come from the four corners of the earth who believe in him, lay hold on him, and are preserved and protected by his power and grace. They understood these things because they understood Judaism, and they understood the Day of Atonement. And so he says, these have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. So this altar privilege, he's saying, for these Jews or the Judaizing, I can never say that word, Christians who had heard to the mosaical administration of covenants and meats and ceremonies, he said, they have no lawful right to partake. They cannot have this honor while they cleave to the religious rites and the sacrificial ceremonies. By doing that, they deny the altar who is Christ, rejecting the Son of God and are in turn rejected by him. He goes on to say, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. So Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered without the gate. So the allusion then is to that sin offerings on the day of atonement. The bullock for the high priest, the goat, plural, for the people. If you want to know about this, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of explanation, but it's in Leviticus uh, chapter 16, verse 27 says, The bull for the sin offering, the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skin, their flesh, and their offal. So he said, everything must be burned. Everything. And if you knew anything about uh, the laws of sacrifices, there were things that they would they would um, burn the sacrifice, and then the priest could eat some of, sin, of the sin offering. The other offering, sometimes the peoples sometimes could eat those offerings, not of the sin offering on the day of atonement, but on this specifically on the day of atonement, everything 
that had to do with this had to be burnt outside the camp. So a priest couldn't even eat it. Okay. If that makes sense. So this, this part, this last part of the ceremony completed the day of atonement in verse 27. It not only typified the entire removal of sin from the congregation, but it signified that the law itself made none, not even the priests, partakers in such complete atonement. Christ therefore fulfilled the first significance of this type by suffering without the gate, the Jews, and casting them from their midst were the unconscious instruments of his fulfilling the law. He bare and took away the sins of all outside the holy city, which represented the Israel of God. The goats offered on the day of atonement, neither people nor priests were allowed to eat. These victims for the day of atonement were a bullock and two young goats for sin offerings, two rams for burnt offerings. One goat chosen by lot was slain. The other served as the scapegoat. Go read this. I don't have time to explain to you everything, but go read about it. The blood of the bullock and one of the goats was carried into the sanctuary and sprinkled on the mercy seat and afterward on the horns of the great altar outside and the bodies of the slain animals were burned in a clean place outside of the camp. So this sin offering was burned outside the camp. So Jesus then and all their points fulfilled the law of atonement, fulfilled it in this point also that he suffered outside the city. John 19, 20, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. See, Jesus suffered outside the gates of Jerusalem upon Mount Calvary, where the skulls and bones of these cursed creatures were scattered as the expiatory sacrifices. Now, these are sacrifices which had power to atone, were burnt outside the camp as the high priest carried the expiatory blood into the holiest of all on the day of atonement. So Christ, with his blood, entered the holiest in heaven, and by it he obtained pardon of peace, uh, a pardon of sin, peace with God, renewing by the Holy Spirit for all people who repent, believe, and will come unto God by him. So therefore, those who will still Judaize have no right to eat of this sacrifice. All that to say that. We're not justified by meats or ceremonies, but by the blood of Christ alone. John 1.29 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Same thing, the thought is the same in Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto us himself, unto himself a peculiar people. So the writer of Hebrews is saying that, listen, you understand atonement. You understand how the Jews have always done something. You being a Jew, Christ fulfilled all of those Law requirements for the atoning of the blood. Okay? So he says then, he 
went outside the camp as on that day of atonement, the complete sacrifice had to be burned outside the camp. He said, then let us go forth unto him outside the camp. As if we are going forth with him when he was led away to be crucified. He was put to death as a malefactor. He was the object of contempt and scorn. He was held up to derision and he was taunted and reviled on his way to the place of death, even on the cross and to be identified with him there, to follow him, to sympathize with him, to be regarded as his friend would have subjected one to similar shame and reproach. So the meaning then to these Hebrew Christians is that we should be willing to regard ourselves as identified with the Lord Jesus. And to bear the same shame and reproach which he did. When he was led away amidst scoffing and reviling to be put to death. Would we, if we had been there, been willing to be regarded as his followers? Would we have gone out with him and avowed disciples and friends? How many are there who profess to love him when their life subjects them to no reproach? There's a reference here to Exodus 33, 7, where Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. And the the reason Moses moved it outside the camp, because the camp was polluted by the people's idolatry of the golden calf. So then everyone who was sought the Lord had to go outside the camp. And it was a type of what these Hebrew Christians should do. Come out of the carnal worship of Judaism. Come out of the world to worship God in spirit and in truth. Come out from all fleshly desires and carnality, worldly formalism, and mere sensuous worship. He said, come out. And know Jesus in his power apart from worldliness. Yes. It says, come out of the world and bear his reproach. Yes. Second Corinthians, Paul tells us, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Being set apart from the world, bearing his reproach. It's not a fun message, but it's the call. And, And being set apart doesn't mean that we can't have fun. But we're not to indulge in the sinful activities of the world. We're not to indulge in things that are contrary to the word of God. Like the fake Christians. If your life lived looks like everybody else. What good is it? If it looks like the world. What good is it? 
The world likes to get drunk and party. Intoxication and God don't mix. Intoxication and God don't mix. Thank you. The world is infatuated with materialism while others are in need. We don't live like this. Christians don't live in sin and things the Bible condemns. God has chosen us out of the world to show his glory in us. He says, come out and bear his reproach. We're in the world, but we're not to be a part of the world. We don't follow the world's desires. We don't live like unbelievers. We don't believe like the unbelievers. We walk like Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Our holiness comes from Christ. In him we are holy. And we must allow our lives to reflect our appreciation love for the great price that was paid for us on the cross. He says, bearing his reproach as Simon of Cyrene had to bear the cross of Christ to be identified with him. If you are censored and suffer abuse because you bear the name of Christ, blessed are you, happy and fortunate to be envied with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of your outward condition. I I, I, I specifically put it in the Amplified because I loved what it says. If you are censored and suffer abuse because you bear the name of Christ... Blessed are you. You are happy. You are fortunate. You're to be envied with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of your outward condition. Because the spirit of glory, the spirit of God is resting upon you. On their part, he is blessing, but on your part, he is glorified. And as he was excommunicated and insulted and made to bear his cross of shame, so will you be. You must follow him out of this doomed world. It must be remembered that the cross, an object of disgust even to the Gentiles, was viewed by the Jews with religious horror since they regarded every crucified person as a curse of God. Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23 says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that, that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as inheritance for he who is hanged is accursed of God. He was accursed. They believed that it was a curse, that crucifixion was a curse. It was viewed with religious horror. And Christians share this reproach to the fullest extent. In fact, to be called Christian in the first and second century was a despicable slant. We don't think about that now. It wasn't a good thing to be called a Christian. The most polished heathen writers, men like Tac. Tacitus, Pliny, Suetonius spoke of the Christian faith as an execrable, deadly, and malefic superstition. Lucian alluded to Christ as the impelled sophist. 
To many Greeks and Romans, there was no language of scorn that seemed too intense to describe Christ's followers and their mode of worship. And the Jews spoke of them as Nazarenes, Epicureans, heretics, followers of the thing. And most, especially these Christians, were known as apostates, traitors, and renegades. We will be known as the scum of the earth. First Corinthians four says, and we labor working with our hands being reviled. We bless being persecuted. We endure being defamed. We entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world. The off scouring of all things until now we've been made as the scum of the earth. Matthew, Jesus tells us it is, it is, it, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? I was um, looking um, on Facebook the other day. You know, I, I really try hard not to go through my newsfeed because it's just a mess out there. But one of my friends had posted something and said, Christians, we've got to do better. And, and this guy posted a billboard and it said, um, text, he had a number and he said, text one word what you think about Christians to this number. And then he posted the results, right? And it was, it was like hypocrites and, you know, it was all these bad words, you know, one word. My first thought was, well, you, you did wrong when you asked the world what they thought about Christians. Yes. Because the Bible says we're going to be hated by all. We're, we, we are a reproach to men. And this guy was saying, we got to do better and this is not good. And I'm like, well, do you idolize the opinions of men? Because we're, we're, we're told that the world is not going to like us. We're told the world will speak bad about us. The world does not understand us. Now, if you have a bad name among your brethren, there's a problem. Don't hang out with that guy. That's different. But among the world, we're despicable. Jude 3 and 4 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So now Jude says, contend for the faith. Right? The Hebrews writer has said, do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. Contend for the faith. Because the faith is not changed in 2,000 years. Contend for the faith. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Who long ago were marked out for the condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness. And deny the only Lord and God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we're at today. Men turning grace into lasciviousness. People have no idea what God's love is or means. And they're changing definitions about everything, especially as it has to do with Christianity. 
And we, we are here contending for the faith. Yes. We're here contending for the faith. I remember a few years ago, I had someone very dear to me that I love very much, <clears throat> was very confused because they knew somebody that they loved and this person said they were a Christian and believed things contrary to scripture. They believed love is love. And you can live how you want and marry who you want. And they claim to be a Christian. And then I'm over here. And, and at this time I was contending for the faith. I said, don't do that. That's not of God. Don't go that way. This is not true. And they watched me and, and they came to me, uh, alone one time and just asked me and they said, you know, I, I just, I don't understand why you, you, what's going on here? Because you both claim to be Christian and what, why are you, why do you even care? And I'll say, I'll tell you why I care. Because I bear the name of Christ. And if you claim to bear the name of Christ, and our witnesses don't agree, something's wrong. I just read to you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His doctrines don't change. We don't change with the times. And people aren't going to understand us. But one day we're going to have to answer to the Lord. And and folks, the persecution that's coming is is a persecution of words. And it is attack on our faith. And and don't say that. That's hate speech. And, And this is where the line's going to be drawn. I saw a sign the other day that was said, all these things, love is love and Jesus is Lord. So we are not the same. If we are going to contend for the faith, you're going to be a reproach. You're going to be a reproach. We can't both be right. The writer goes on to say, for we do not regard this our final home. We should be willing to bear reproaches during this short time while we're here on earth. Why? Because this isn't our home. It's not my fixed abode. This this is not my final place. The writer's comforting these Hebrew Christians that are being driven from Jerusalem, driven from their home, and, and doomed to wander as exiles. And he tells them, Jesus was put to death outside the city, so you should be willing to go forth also. Amen. You can go outside the city. Why? Because Jerusalem's not your, far, your permanent home. Amen. It's okay. It's not your home. We have a home in heaven. Yeah. We have a different address. It's okay. You you can bear reproach because you don't belong here anyways. Going without the camp as believers 
in the virtue of Christ's atoning sacrifice, bearing his shame as those who seek to be identified with him. And we are brought near to God and are disposed to offer him a sacrifice of praise. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. This verse is meant to remind us that the sacrifices of well-doing and the sharing of our goods are more necessary than that verbal gratitude unaccompanied by sincerity of actions. He said, give praise to God and take care of others. Do good. Share with your brethren. James says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. See, people people like that first part. They don't like the unspotted from the world part. Besides that, he that, that religion is, is really religious service because James was a book about doing. And so he's talking to, you know, uh, Jewish believers and he says, that stuff, that's, that's not religious service. Religious service is taking care of the brethren. Religious service is taking care of those that can't take care of themselves. Religious service actually is bridling your tongue. Oh, there you go. Ouch. Religious service then is going outside the camp following Christ. And being a reproach, keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. What is a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have work? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. So he says, offer to God then that sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, and do not forget to do good and to share. At the Last Supper, just before Jesus was crucified, he left instructions for the apostles. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So people will know his disciples by how we love and take care of each other. See, and a lot of people use that scripture and, and, and they take it, uh, they twist it to make it mean what it doesn't mean. That the world will know us by how we love the world. That, no, that's not what it means. The world, that, that, that would contradict everything else Jesus said. Right? I just read to you what Jesus said. He said, you will be hated. They will not like you. They will talk about you. They called me a demon. They'll call you a demon. So if we're supposed to be known by the world, how we love, then Jesus is contrary. No, he's not contrary. He was telling his disciples You will know another disciple by how you guys love each other, how you take care of each other, how you provide for each other, how you share for others. And when the world looks at you and they say, what's going on there? 
We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We provide for each other. We take care of each other. We love each other. John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So he says the world hates you. But they're going to know you by your love. No, they'll, they'll know how you love the brethren. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. Last section begins with a reference to the rulers of the church. Remember your former leaders, imitate their faith and how they bore the approach of Christ and obey them that lead you now. So he says, remember those that went before you and obey them that lead you now. Submit yourself to them, yield to them, be ready to comply with their request. Give them respect. Even though their office should render it sometimes necessary for them to reprove you for your instances of misconduct or to urge you to duties which you are averse to perform. Yield and give up them your own will. As you see your leaders being reproached for the name of Christ, submit yourself to them. As you see them going outside the camp, identifying with him in his suffering and pain, as you watch their conduct in the forgiveness of those who have wronged them, and you regard the bad treatment of those who crucify them for preaching and holding firm to God's word, submit to their authority. For they watch for your souls. And the Greek here is very emphatic. For it is that they watch on behalf of your souls as having to give an account. They will give an account. The Lord told Ezekiel, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Who he's talking to? He's talking to the watchman. It's not for everybody. It's for certain people though. It's for the pastor. Ezekiel 34, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. God said, I will, I will require my flock at their hand. So the writer of Hebrews says, obey them. If not, it's not going to go well for you. Be obedient and yield to them. Why? Because they watch after your souls. Yeah. Amen. And, and honestly, if you don't think Pastor Matt watches after your souls, you shouldn't be here. Amen. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that he prays over you and pours over you and cares about you and he has to discipline you and he has, he has to, Amen. then you shouldn't be here. can't submit to somebody if you never come around uh. <laughs> they watch for your souls 
so that they may have joy and not groaning. Because that's unprofitable for you. Because it's unprofitable for you if they're groaning. If you so live that they must watch over you with grief, this not only weakens the pastor's hand, it brings on you God's displeasure. There's a very stern warning here. No words could be more powerfully present to members of the church the motives for obedience to their spiritual leaders and to the leaders themselves the ideal of their work and life as men who are keeping watch for souls, either with rejoicing or mourning, ever mindful of the count they must give to God for the flock which he entrusts to their care. John Wesley said this, He is not a good shepherd who does not either rejoice over his flock or groan for them. The groans of other creatures are heard. How much more shall these come up into the ears of God? Whoever answers this character of a Christian pastor may undoubtedly demand this obedience. Well, we are to bear his reproach outside the camp. Uh, Angie, we come up and play. I just want to give you a, a chance to respond to the message. If anything spoke to you, if the Holy Spirit spoke something to you, good. Receive it. Let it go down in your spirit. If you need to press on, if you need to repent, whatever you need to do, let the Holy Spirit work in you. Let him have his way. Let him speak to you. It's not an exciting word to bear the reproach of Christ, but it's the call of his people. It is our call to go outside the camp to bear his reproach with him, to suffer with him, to be like him, to be hated by all for him to not idolize the opinions of men but the opinion of God if you are here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I want to just give you an opportunity to call out to God to ask him to forgive you of all your sins and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and make you a new creation. If you need that, just call out to him right now. Cry out to him. Come near. If you're far from home, just run to him. Stop what you're doing and just turn around and run home. The Lord receives all prodigals that repent and come to him. Father, I just want to pray tonight you give us strength to bear your reproach. Give us strength to endure, God. Give us strength to endure the testing. Give us strength to endure persecution, God, and affliction for your name. For we are happy and blessed when we are reproached for the name of Christ. Let us wear that label, Father. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, Lord. 
We thank you for everything you do for us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.